Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Good morning, everyone. It's so good to be here. Uh, my name is Rob, and um, just a little bit about myself. Uh, I'm married to Sandy, and we have three sons. We've been coming to uh, the Vineyard Church maybe for two and a half years or so, three years. Um, and Sandy and I have just become proud grandparents to twin boys, Alonzo and Diego. So my um, love goes out to them and my family this morning. But it's so good to be in the room. Good. So good to be actually in the building. You know, actually, when I walked through the doors this, this morning, I realized that I haven't actually been in the building since March of last year. So it, it was actually quite emotional, really, uh, stepping into the room again. You know, with this, uh, this morning, we're going to be looking into the book of Jeremiah. Uh, sorry, Jeremiah. Nehemiah. <laughs> one of the prophets, anyway. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, and we're continuing in our series with Nehemiah, really looking at um, the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem. Now, this morning, I'm not going to go into any of the kind of background of Nehemiah and why he was back in Jerusalem doing this. Um, If you want to to look at that, you can look at previous sermons on YouTube or on the V61 website or you know, go to the, the Bible Project uh, website also and you can get a great overview of Nehemiah from there. Um, you know, the things that we're learning through this series of Nehemiah uh, are not only important for our church and um, you know, for the rebuilding after, after COVID and all that's gone on before, but I think there's an awful lot here for all of us, for each of us as individuals, you know, significance for, for us and, and our lives. Because, you know, let's face it, um, last year has been a series of setbacks that have sometimes felt like we've been in exile. We felt like we've been like, you know, Israel, um, the Jews in exile sometimes. Well, I'm going to make a declaration this morning, and perhaps everyone in the, the room could you know, just declare this with me, that I'm here to declare that 2021 is a time of rebuilding. Amen? 2021 is a time of rebuilding, of restoration, of renovation, of reconstruction. It's a time for rebuilding. You know, last week we heard from the brilliant Tabitha, that the rebuilding isn't on our own either. We're not doing it by ourselves. And that's why we make a declaration together as a community. Yes, our individual lives um, are lived and, you know, we go about our days. But isn't it wonderful to know that we're part part of a bigger picture of what God is doing in our community as a church and in Balaam and in our city? And you know, it's, it's so important that, you know, that, that we're actually meeting together, that we're connecting together to, in, you know, to just talk through some of the issues that we're going through, to find encouragement, to, to pray for one another. So, you know, I would really encourage you that um, if you're not part of a life group yet, 
to really find one. I think there's probably spaces um, in which you can get into a life group, connect with other believers in the church, um, and find that encouragement and that prayer, prayer support. You know, Tabitha also reminded us last week that building the wall wasn't actually really just about building the wall. It was about what God was doing in the individuals and in the community um, for the Jews uh, and for their city. And, you know, there's lots of things that we as V61 as a church are doing. You know, we, we have um, the English um, yeah, uh, school. We have the job club. There's so many things, you know, bags of blessing. We had um, healing on the streets. All of that stuff is amazing and it's important. But, you know, actually, it's about God's kingdom being established in our city. You know, witnessing lives being restored. And, of course, as a church, you know, our inspiration comes from Isaiah uh, chapter 61, where he prophesies looking forward into the future. Um, and he says, you know, proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance to our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who, are, who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. That is so amazing, isn't it? Because what Isaiah is prophesying is that the mourners will become the healers. They will become the restorers. It's those who are in despair who become oaks of righteousness. It's they who will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. You know, isn't it so amazing that God takes us from a place of lament? He takes us from a place of mourning and brings us into a place of restoration. In sorrow, there's new life, new possibilities. You know, I was also really thrilled to, to learn that there's um, actually some prophecies that have been given. You know, as we, as we were coming into this series of Nehemiah, and um, I'm, I'm just going to read uh, a couple of them for you, just for your encouragement. You know, one person prophesied that during lockdown, the Holy Spirit has been impressing on them that Nehemiah chapter 4 is key for the church at a time as we advance rebuilding the broken walls. Um, they, another person says, I am seeing this rebuilding being done across Britain in all areas of society as the church in Britain rises up to reestablish God's plumb line. It's fantastic, isn't it? Those prophecies that, you know, we know we're in the right place. 
we know that we're headed in the right direction. You know, Nehemiah 4 is about um, the opposition the Jews would experience as they looked to this time of rebuilding the wall in the city of Jerusalem. Nehemiah was faced with obstacles and challenges um, that really sought to discourage him and the people. But he was determined to continue when faced with that opposition to what God had called him to do. So I'm just reading from verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their heart. But when Sambalat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, and the Amorites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and that their gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come to fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against them. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put them an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived nearby, near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords and spears and bows. And after that, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight, um, fight for your families, your sons and daughters, your wives and your homes. I mean, you can see there that um, there were forces that were against them, you know, to fight, to, to discourage them. And you, you really get a, a, a sense there of their weariness, their doubt. You know, they were in fear. You know, they said the strength of the laborers is giving out. You know, the, the people up to this point had been working, you know, with all their heart. But they'd become exhausted. They were fearful. And they were overwhelmed. And maybe you can relate to that right now. Maybe you can relate to that right now, this morning. Maybe you've come into 2021 and you're looking to a time of rebuilding. And you've had great hope and energy and excitement and dreams. Only for things to be put on hold again. So hard. Or things have collapsed. They've crumbled because of the obstacles and the opposition that you're facing in another lockdown. And now you're asking, you're in that place and you're saying, you know, what's going on, God? You know, what's next for me? Where are you? What are you doing? In um, 2018, I was asked by the organization uh, that I work for 
whether I would be interested in project managing a residential resettlement housing program for uh, homeless men. Now, up to that point, um, I was in full-time ministry. I was um, working as a, as a chaplain in HMP Brixton, and that was a ministry that I loved, that was, um, that was fruitful, that was exciting. But I really felt as I was offered this, um, this opportunity to take it up. And so, you know, prayerfully, we went um, searching for the right home to, to buy for this, for this project. We found this beautiful Georgian house in Islington. Um, in, you know, I oversaw a lot of the renovations on the house. Um, we set up a program, uh, a business plan. We, we recruited um, one or two staff that we thought we would need. We went and, you know, met with different organizations that worked with, ho with the homeless to make, you know, to let them know what we were up to. You know, it, it was a time where I put literally my heart and my soul into this project. We opened the doors. We um, had uh, three men move into the house. And after a few weeks and months, it became apparent that the resources that we thought were in place um, to support the work and to support the staffing and to support me in the work that I wanted to do with these men over a two-year two period just, just wasn't there. And, you know, to make a really long story short, basically there was a, a confrontation in the house uh, one afternoon I was actually in the basement area of the house um, where there was a kitchen and a dining room, and I found myself trapped in the dining room by one of the residents who became very uh, threatening to me and aggressive. And I literally felt that I had to escape, and I ran upstairs and I locked myself in my office, and I was absolutely scared to death. I was petrified. And, you know, as, as a result of that, I was taken out of the project. The project ended up, you know, closing down completely. The, the men were moved on. And, you know, and I was left absolutely devastated by that. You know, that really floored me. And it really caused me to doubt, what was God doing? Surely, surely, Lord, you called me to do that. Why has it turned out this way? Why has all the work that I've done felt like it's just ended up in a pile of rubble? You know, and I had to take some time. I had to some, take some time to reflect on it, to keep coming back to God, to keep really just, you know, asking God those important questions. And, you know, I've found my way through that over the last two or three years. And now I'm in a place where, you know, I feel... God is using me in a great way as I work with the homeless in central London. But maybe you too are in that time of rebuilding and restoring and remaking something in your life. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a career. Maybe you're trying to rebuild a relationship. Or maybe you need to rebuild your confidence after you know, a devastating time. Maybe your physical body needs some restoration after a really stressful time. Maybe your future needs to be rebuilt. And you're faced with the pain as you face the pain of your past.
your past mistakes and your past failures. Well, maybe you've come to a place where you feel like there's just a pile of shattered pieces. Well, you know, I want to tell you this morning that the truth is that God is not put off by our failures. God doesn't see us the way that we see ourselves in these moments. You know, we may see that pile of ruins, but God sees what those ruins can become when we trust in Him. You know, God is the great architect. He's our creator. He's the one who knit us together in our, in our mother's womb. He knows us very well. He knows every circumstance that we've been through or ever will go through. You know, what we see is broken. God sees the rebuilding that is possible. He knows where each piece in the wall belongs. When we put our trust and hope in Jesus, He puts, puts it all back together, piece by piece, into something that's even more beautiful than it was before. That's what I'm learning in my life through those experiences. You know, He is the master rebuilder. Psalm 147 says, The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. Now, when we choose to open up our hearts and allow God to come in and to restore us, He's faithful to do it. When we choose not to hide, but rather to run into the arms of Jesus, He'll take all the wreckage, all the rubble, and by His grace, by His goodness, He rebuilds it. Yes, we, we do have an adversary, and he's not happy with what God is doing in us. But you know what I've found? Quite often, the biggest opposing voice is my own. It's actually the voice inside me. You know, I, I, I hear the jeering in my head, and it can be relentless sometimes. You know, the, these voices that I hear, you know, they cast doubt on what I've heard God say. You know, I hear the voice of Sanballat. You know, the voice of Sanballat is actually in me. He says, when Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they make the stones back, come back from life, from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? You know, we hear those voices, don't we? We hear those voices say, you're feeble. You know, what do you, who do you think you are? You're not good enough. You're not gifted enough. You're not enough. And I think, you know, we can look at others, can't we, around us, and we can think, you know, how brilliant they are. You know, how amazing together their life is and their career is or whatever. 
And we need to be aware of that, don't we, sometimes? We need to be aware that there's this battle going on, and we need to consciously just pull down those facades, you know, and encourage each other where we are. You know, if, if you only read Nehemiah chapter 3, if you just kind of read that in isolation, chapter 3, you could be deceived in thinking that the work on the wall was, you know, was fine. It was hunky-dory that went on without a hitch. You know, such and such built this gate, and these people built up the wall to this point, and next to them, these people built the wall further on, and so on and so forth. It sounds like there were no problems, but it certainly wasn't the case, was it? And what we see is that there were these periods of advancing, and then there were these periods also of setbacks through chapter 4 and to, through to chapter 6. So, for example, in chapter 3, they advance and as the work on the wall begins. In the beginning of chapter 4, they're mocked and they're ridiculed for starting the work, and they have some setback. And then in verses 4 to 6, they pray and find strength to advance again. They rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. And then in verses 7 and 8, they suffer another setback. Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, and the Amorites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs of the Jerusalem walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were closed and they were very angry. They plotted against them. But in verse 9, they prayed and they advanced again, posting a guard day and night to meet the threat. By verses 10 to 12, they suffered another setback. Their strength was gone and they were overwhelmed with all the piles of rubble. And again, they take their eyes off God, and they become fearful. But by verses 10 to 12, they suffer another setback. Their strength was gone, and they were overwhelmed by the piles of rubble. And again, they take their eyes off God. But they, were, they pulled together, and they advanced again. Nehemiah stations people along the walls with weapons to defend them, and reminds them to look again to the Lord, for he is great and awesome until chapter 5 when they start complaining again. And we're going to look at that <laughs> next week. And this is how it's gone. Advance, setback, advance, setback. Uh, but isn't that the cycle of life? Isn't that how our lives go quite often? You know, there are periods of time when we can see the road ahead. You know, and there's times when there's twists and turns and we can't see what's around the corner. We have times when we sense God's presence really strongly, and other times when we struggle to pray and to worship and understand what God is doing. You know, it's okay. You know, Nehemiah experienced these things, and we too will experience them. The enemy will try, you know, and get us sidetracked, to distract us, or even to give up completely because he knows that we are advancing God's kingdom. You know, for some years, um, a while back, um, when our boys were much younger and they were in school, Sandy and I led an alpha group in uh, Wandsworth Prison on a unit called the, the Vulnerable Prisoners Unit. 
And, um, you know, that was just such a privilege. You know, we ran perpetual courses through the year, and we just saw so many men's lives changed. You know, men who had done terrible things, um, who were in prison, and we saw God work. But it was every Tuesday afternoon, I believe, that we would go into the prison. And of course, when you go into the prison, you, you have to leave your mobile phone behind. You can't be contacted in any, other, any way. And often, I mean really often, it became obvious that the times that we were in the prison, out of contact with anyone and with our, with our boys, that quite often something dramatic would happen. You know, there would be an asthma attack at school, or one of them would fall and break his arm, and we wouldn't find this out until we got out of the prison and we turned our mobile phones on, and we realized what had happened. And we quickly realized that this was a direct uh, attack from the enemy on us because we were so determined to see God's kingdom established there on the vulnerable prisoners unit in Wandsworth Prison. God was doing remarkable things, and the enemy really did not like it. And even though it was God's will for the wall to be rebuilt, he didn't remove the opposition. He didn't remove um, the enemy from attacking us when we were doing that work, but he started to equip us prayerfully on, on knowing how to deal with the opposition. You know, the opposition we face should drive us to a greater dependence on God and a greater determination in the rebuilding He has called us to do. Now, what about you this morning? Are you yielding to Jesus? Are you leaning on Him? You know, He's the one who rescues. He's the one who delivers us. He's the one who saves us. And so our dependence is completely on Him. Because think about it. What's the alternative if we give in to the opposition? What's the alternative to that? Well, we'll end up quitting the race. Or else we'll settle for a mediocre Christian existence. And none of us want that, do we? You know, for 10 years, between 2005 and 2015, I was a chaplain in Brixton Prison. And um, one of my duties was going around... Um, visiting all the new prisoners that had come into the prison the night before. And this one particular morning, I was with a female colleague of mine, and we were going from cell to cell on G-Wing on the drug treatment landing, where guys had come in and they were still addicted to drugs. And um, as we were talking to this prisoner through his locked door, because it was locked down during that time, no one was out of their cells, they were all inside, um, I, I kind of was conscious of the man in the next cell um, who was making really kind of rude gestures to my female colleague and, and saying r very rude stuff. And so I stopped my conversation with this man and I directed my attention to this other man and I began to challenge him on his behavior. And as soon as I did that, he absolutely exploded and he began to like shout at me, and he, he threatened to kill me. He said that he would find me, and he would stab me. He even managed to spit on me through the crack in his door. 
And with all the noise that was going on, the prison officers came running down the landing, and I explained to them what was going on, and as a result, this man was put on report, and um, a, a, a hearing was scheduled, adjudication hearing, which is a legal hearing, was scheduled in two weeks' time um, that I would need to attend and bring any witnesses that I see fit. And this was a serious thing for this man. This could have meant you know, all his privileges taken away and time being put um, on, onto his sentence, added onto his sentence. And um, I went back to the chapel after that, and I thought, what on earth am I going to do? You know, I, I need to go into this wing. I need to be ministering to these men. This is where I should be. And so rather than shrink away and, and avoid that place, I decided that I would go on to the wing again. And the following day, I went on to the wing. It was during association time, so all the prisoners were out of their cell, about 300 men out of their cells, and they were playing pool, and they were doing all sorts of things. It was a, a, a really noisy environment, and I was walking down the, the, the landing uh, on the ground floor, and out from this cell, um, which wasn't his own, but out from the cell comes this man who uh, had threatened me. And he got right in my face, and he started to shout at me. And thankfully, there were other prisoners who I knew who actually stepped in and actually protected me. That was really encouraging. And, you know, I, w I thought, really, he was going to attack me, but he came really close to it. And so he was taken back to his cell and locked in. Eventually, you know, I, I had, um, we had the, the, the hearing, the adjudication hearing. And before, you know, that happened, I really had time to sit with God and to, to ask what God wanted to happen out of this, this event. And the adjudication hearing came. We went in. He shuffled in. He turned his back on me. He wouldn't look at me. And um, he lied. He lied about the event and what he had said. And he blamed me. And as the adjudication hearing finished, he was found not guilty. The governor of the prison said, look, I believe that you're guilty, that you did threaten Rob, but we have no witnesses, so you are not guilty. And as he went out of his cell and was going out of the room and he was going back to the holding cell, I just um, came up behind him and I called his name. And he turned around, and I walked up to him, and I extended my hand, and I said to him, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry for what's happened. And I really want to be your friend. I want to be able to, you know, rebuild. You know, whatever's been broken between us, I want to rebuild it. And, you know, he offered me his hand, and he shook my hand. And everyone says, well, Rob, you didn't need to do that. It wasn't your fault. But, you know, I saw it from a different perspective. I saw, you know, here, there I was. I was in authority as a chaplain. He was a prisoner. He was behind a locked door. I was outside. He was black. I'm white. And I thought I had a place of responsibility as a, as a son of God to really pursue reconciliation with this man. And so he shook my hand, and the next day... I went to his cell. His cell door was open. I went into his cell, and I found myself sitting on his bed with him, with a Bible, reading the Bible and praying for him. You know, God turned that event around. 
because I chose not to shrink away, but to face that and to, with God's help, and to move forward in the rebuilding that God wanted to do in me, but also in that man, more importantly. You know, when we encounter opposition, we have several options open to us. You know, we can run, we can try to dodge it, we can go around it, we can compromise, or we can meet it head on and go through it. How did Nehemiah and the Jews respond to when they faced the opposition? Well, they prayed, didn't they? Nehemiah turns to the God of heaven and says, Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over to their, as plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Verse 9 says, But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet the threat. You know, during the civil rights movement in the 1960s, Martin Luther King prayed when facing overwhelming opposition. He prayed, Eternal God, out of whose mind this great cosmic universe we bless thee. Help us to seek that which is high, noble, and good. Help us in the moment of difficult decision. Help us to work with renewed vigor for a warless world, a better distribution of wealth, and a brotherhood that transcends race and color. You know, that's a wonderful prayer. That's an amazing prayer, and he was a fantastic orator, Martin Luther King. But look at Nehemiah's prayer in verses 4 and 5. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. You know, it doesn't really fit, does it, with love your enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Nehemiah's prayer was that God would judge those who oppose his kingdom and his glory. You know, our prayers should be for God's kingdom to be established, just as in the Lord's prayer. Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Do we really understand what that means? That's, that's kind of a, an offensive prayer that we're praying. So we're praying for all competing kingdoms to be brought down in Jesus' name. When we pray for God's kingdom to be established, we come into full confrontation with Satan. And we shouldn't take that lightly. But praise God. Praise the Lord. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We fight putting on the full armor of God, Ephesians 6, verse 11, so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. Yes, they kept their eye on the enemy, but verse 13 says they established some people of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with swords and spears and bows. Yes, they kept their eye on the enemy, 
but they didn't allow the enemy's threat to take their focus on what God had done for them. They didn't take their focus on God, off God. They just kept building the wall, and pretty soon the enemy was outside looking up instead of looking straight across at them over the wall. You know, there's, there are times when we need to face the enemy. We engage in spiritual battle, but we should never get so distracted by the fight that we forget that our main purpose is to rebuild. Both the sword and the trowel are necessary. The reason for the sword is so that we can use the trowel. We fight the good fight of faith in the power of the Holy Spirit with the sword of God's Word so that we can rebuild His kingdom with the trowel. And so Nehemiah and the people focused their minds on God. Nehemiah reminds them in verse 14, Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your houses. The people were discouraged because they had taken their focus onto the enemy's threats and the piles of rubble and all the work that they had to do. But Nehemiah directs their focus back on the Lord, who is great and awesome. When opposition hits, it's easy to take our focus off of God and on to our problems, especially when it's our families who are under attack, like it was for Sandy and I while we were in the prison doing God's work. And when that happens, Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, set your minds on the things above, not on the things of the earth. Psalm 16 says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With Him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. These are the encouragement from God's Word. You know, as the band come forward, um, I'd really like to pray. And I feel really led this morning to pray for those, especially who are out of work or unemployed. You know, those also who are in self-employment. You know, you're at a place where you feel stuck, and maybe you're feeling at the place where, you know, you're wondering what God's doing and where He is. Well, this morning, you know, let's choose to position ourselves in a place where we can yield to what God wants to rebuild in our lives. God is faithful, and He wants to present you whole and complete in the day of Jesus' coming. So let's pray. Let's all bow and pray. Lord God, we just thank you that your word tells us that you have a plan for us. You have many plans for us, plans to prosper us, not to harm us, plans to give us a hope and a future. And Lord, as we find ourselves in the place of rubble and devastation, we, fear, fear, we feel fearful and we're not sure what direction to go to as we 
walk down that unknown road. Lord God, I thank you that your promise is that you are with us, that you will establish us in the land, and that you will provide for us. And just as you promised Israel that every step that they, that they took, that that place would be theirs. Lord, you established them in that land, that promised land, and so you have that place for us. And so, Lord, I pray this morning for all those who, through this time, have found themselves uh, without employment. Lord, I pray for those who are self-employed and, and work is completely dried up, and they're not sure of the road ahead, Lord, that you would be with them. That, Lord, you would keep their focus on you and your goodness for them, God. That, Lord, you are good and that you do all things well. And help them to raise their eyes to heaven and see where their salvation comes from. It comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And so, Lord, we thank you this morning. Thank you for speaking us th to us through your word, by your spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.